Many of them would get me aside and they said, look, and I'm here because I've read Dallas and I know there's something going on with this guy. I can feel it in the pages. And I just had to come, not just for what he said in his writings, but I had to come to see if this guy was really for real. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is Keith Matthews. Keith is chair of the Graduate Ministry Department and professor of practical theology at Azusa Pacific Seminary. He's co-author of the Study Guide to Divine Conspiracy and currently teaches in the Dallas Willard School of Kingdom Living. Keith had the unique privilege of helping teach a class each year at Fuller Seminary with Dallas Willard, and he did this for 18 years. I talked with Keith over video call from his home in Southern California about his relationship with Dallas and what he learned from all those years of being together. Keith, you are in a really unique position in terms of someone who spent 18 years in a classroom with Dallas. Is this accurate? Yeah, yeah. Two weeks every summer in a D-Min program at a monastery. At that. On top At of that. that. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? I ended up following James Bryan Smith, who had done it for about eight years, and he was going to go back to school. Um, and uh, so I I had known Dallas for many, many years, even prior to that. And I was I was pastoring and I was in California and, he, and they asked me to come and be that, fill that spot. And it was... Uh, I, I truly didn't realize what I was getting into. I, it's, it's only hindsight now that I realize how privileged I really was. I mean, I, I, I was scared to death to sit next to him and, <laughs> and fill a role where I was kind of an interpreter to the class for some of the things that he would be saying, because he would say some things and I would go, Lord, wow, what was that that Dallas just said? That was, it was powerful, I know, but man, what was that? You know, <laughs> but over time, um, it, he, he, you know, I, by the time I finished doing this after 18 years with him, there were many times I could just about finish his sentence. It had become that way. Right. Um, and uh, not that he was a push the button and just speak, you know, like uh, robotically. No, he never did that. But there were things that, that were so profound over the course of those years in in a class of 20 to 30 pastors from all over the world um, that came to see him. They, this is the interesting thing. Many of them would get me aside and they said, look, and I'm here because I've read Dallas and I know there's something going on with this guy. I can, I can feel it in the pages. And I just had to come, not just for what he said in his writings, but I had to come to see if this guy was really for real. Mm. <laughs> you know, was he really uh, the the guy that you felt was talking out of experience, not just knowledge, head knowledge? And their conclusion after the two weeks? Uh, over and over again, Nate, the, the conclusion was, I'm more impressed with him than even his writing. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was by far the reality because he was always gracious, 
always uh, available. When you would talk to him uh, over to the side, you would feel like you're the only one in the room. You would feel that way with him. Uh, kind, generous, wonderful person. So I, I miss him terribly. 30 years of relationship, and he is without a doubt the most impactful person that I've had in my life. And um, I like to think that, I, that I'm trying to carry that on. Um, not just in, uh, you know, taking his ideas and his theology and his formational um, insights, but but I want to I want to be like him. The 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 life, the, the, the life. character, the yes. yeah, yeah. So I I had a great time. It was a, it was a gift, and I'm still teaching that same class uh, Fuller every other year, and. Uh, I teach all of his stuff in my classes at Azusa Pacific Seminary, and it's the highlight of my my life. It really is. Tell me the story of when you first met Dallas. I had just begun Fuller Seminary in 1983, not really planning on becoming a pastor, although I felt a call very early on from my Jesus movement days, but I didn't have very good models to guide me into pastoral ministry. I really didn't want to do that, but I wanted to serve Jesus. And uh, my church in Southern California uh, was at a site where they had classes for Fuller Seminary. So I, I took a class. I took a class uh, uh, right right before I met him, and, and uh, that was in the summer, I think, of 84. I took a class, and then in the in the spring of eighty five, January of eighty five, he he came to um to the church to teach 12, 12 classes at my church uh, in Southern Cal, mm-hmm. and my I was I was invited to the class. It was actually the old veterans of a pretty good sized church there in Southern Cal, and there was usually about twenty old timers that were the veterans of the church that were were in that that Sunday school class. And they said, you know, hey, Keith, come and visit. You'd love this guy. This guy's going to come and teach. He's from USC. Um, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll come. And I, and I walked in, and, um, and, and it, was, it was, you could, t- and now there wasn't just 20 people. There was like 100 people in the class. So I thought, oh, this, is, this guy, there must be something here with this person. So he, he taught on this topic. Here it is. 12 weeks on guidelines to life in the kingdom of God. All right, and I go, wow, I'm up for this. My wife and I came, and and he and he was he was not flashy at all. He was the opposite of flashy. <laughs> I know. Okay? I know. <laughs> he he talked slowly. He'd close his eyes sometimes as he was talking. He'd read a scripture and he'd stop and he'd start to tear up. Yeah. And I and and it was just like it, the only description I can say that this class had on me was after that first class I was in, I was sucked in and I felt like I was entering a candy store and he was the candy store owner and he was dispensing the candy out to all of us that he already knew about, that he'd already tasted. <laughs> does that make sense? It does. It does. And, and it wasn't, it was not just, it was a mix of great teaching of ideas and thoughts about transformation, but it was out of his experience that was the difference. 
And I, I had been in the Jesus movement. I had been in the vineyard movement. I had been in the kind of revivalistic, spectacular, ooey-gooey, wild, experiential, you know, church stuff and seen the facades of a lot of it, a lot sure. of fake. And here I was in the midst of somebody who was the real deal. And I said, I've got to, I've got to know more about this. So um, that class was what brought me in. And we, from that class on, we would get together uh, every semester when I went to seminary and when I traveled to, and as a pastor went all across the country, he would come and visit my churches and uh, I could lament with him the challenges. And he, he was just, uh, he was just very much there for me. Um, and and shaped my life, and then those eighteen years on on many travels together, they were just a gift. I, I feel like I was the luckiest guy on the planet. Yeah. What did you learn from him? Uh, again, two levels. Two levels. One is the idea of of character uh, as being primary, and that character is different than giftedness. And I, what I loved, he used to say this, your gifts will only take you as far as your character will let you go. <laughs> okay? Okay. He would say that to me. And I, and I realized he was, he was a thoughtful, experiential man in the kingdom, and he, and he exuded it. He radiated it. Now, I'm going to use words that are not quantifiable. How do you quantify radiate, to, to radiate something? It's kind of like when Paul said, you are the aroma of Christ, right? Mm. How do you quantify aroma, you know? But, but you know it. You know those words mean something substantial. So he taught me that, that we all exude an aroma or a radiance or not. <laughs> and then he taught me how do, how do we become people that are radiant, how do we become the kind of person that has the aroma of Christ? And that's where he taught about formation, mm-hmm. life in the kingdom, spiritual disciplines, all of those things. And, and so those two combined uh, were, were so impacting in my, in my life, in my world. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. And one of the unique pieces that I noticed was here's a person who's brilliant. In all uses of the word, I mean, yes. just off the charts in so many different disciplines and fields, rigorous academics, right? He's just, I walked through his, his library and was, he read all these books, you know, he's there. But there was heart, there was presence, there was character. I mean, it wasn't yeah. just in his head. And right. that is sadly kind of rare to see someone who you know it 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 it's it worked itself into his life and then yes. uh, radiated right just kind of yeah. poured out it's beautiful yes. really beautiful absolutely and people caught that um Nate and can I tell you a little quick story here I mean, oh this, please uh, you know uh, when I was pastoring I, I had pastored in Chicago and then I then I ended up moving to San Francisco, and I was in Marin County, which is a really tough county to do ministry in, a very wealthy county across the Bay, the, the Golden Gate Bridge, very wealthy and very spiritual, very uh, strange spiritualities. You had more credibility if you were into crystals uh, than Jesus in okay. living there. 
Well, I brought Dallas up to do a conference uh, at the church there in Marin. And a young man who was doing his PhD at Berkeley, quiet, thoughtful guy in philosophy, like him. Mm-hmm. He taught philosophy at USC. So I, I remember the student saying, do you think Dallas, I could have lunch with him? I mean, I said, go up and ask him. Go up at a break and just see if he'll be available. And, and, of, and of course, Dallas was gracious. Yeah, let's just grab our little box lunch and we'll sit over on the side of the stage. And he went over and uh, sat on the side of the stage. And I remember watching. I was at the back of the room, uh, probably about 500 people there. And and he went to he went up there and they go they sat on the the backside of the stage and I just kind of watched them and I saw this young guy leaning in just listening intently to what he was saying lovingly and then and then over that lunch period you you saw a, two or three people start to walk up and just lean on in to hear what they were talking about and then and then a few more minutes later a few more by the end of the lunch period. There were 50 or 60 people around them (laughs) just leaning in to hear the conversation. Now, this is not trying to in any way think deify Dallas or make him Jesus. (laughs) Okay. Right, right. Thank you. He never (laughs) sought to do, but he was so focused on that student, he didn't even realize there were, you know, 50 people around him. And talking, but but that's the kind of person he was, and you were drawn to that, um, and it wasn't pretentious in any way. It was just it was just who he was, and um, and I saw that kind of consistency. And I and I have to tell you, the reason I could stay in ministry is he gave me hope that that could be, that pastors could be uh, that kind of a leader, um, in in the midst of you know, many, many decades of watching many fall and and uh, turn out to be, you know, uh, not the best of people, you know? So that's that's just a little bit more about, about him, but yeah. I, I heard a statement from him once, and I'll, I'll probably butcher this and you, you can help me, but he was asked a question of, you know, kind of the defining characteristics of Jesus and his life. And the word uh, relaxed came forward. Did I get this right? He might have used relaxed, but you know what he, you know, the one word that he used more than that, that's similar, uh-huh. unhurried. Unhurried. Okay. He, he, he was never in a hurry, he would say. What reminded me is yeah. that that's what Dallas seemed like to me. Uh, never in a, yeah, relax. Okay. Almost to a fault. I mean, I'm sure yes. it would annoy people who yeah. are trying to get him to go somewhere. But um, yeah. yeah. But that was, um, you know, John Wesley said that too. I'm always in haste, but I'm never in a hurry. You know, and, and Dallas was, his personality was pretty laid back though, Nate. So I got I to gotta give him that. That he was a little more wired. He's, I mean, I'm an extrovert, so I have more intensity. But he, he had a gentleness, and I, I wish I could have that. I want more of that. But he wasn't in a hurry. When when I would walk with him, he had a tenderness. He grabbed my arm, hook his hand under my arm, and he we'd walk really slow. <laughs> <laughs> and he talked to me, you know. And that was, and it was very sweet. He was um, just a, a unique and wonderful man. What do you miss most about him? Oh, I, I miss 
I miss being able to talk like, boy, oh boy. I mean, it's been what, uh, May of 2013 when he passed. So we're what, eight years gone. That's, that's wow, it seems like yesterday. But um, I, I miss being able to call him up and ask what he thinks about what's going on in the world. And uh, or 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 even a the- theological question. I mean, I don't have we don't have the questions to be able to ask him that he that he was always um, up on things. I mean, Nate, he was he was a brilliant thinker on a wide range of topics. I don't think there was ever a question I had uh, that that he did not read something about the topic that he could impart. So I I miss his presence. I miss his the, the ability to talk to him and just ask him questions, and um, just have him in my life in that way. That's without a doubt. That's the biggest thing. I have a really strange question, and if <laughs> if this is a we can cut this if we need to. But has there been anything good about his passing? You know, I, I'm sure there is manifold goodness because of the seeds that he sowed. Um, but I, I am, I, I have been more on the inside of the challenge because Dallas, Dallas did not, um, he was not one that planned for his departure, planned for a, um, a what, what happens after I go, <laughs> you know, on a, on a lot of fronts. He let he was very generous with everyone that he taught to just take it and go do it. Do, don't don't credit me. Right, go take my stuff. Put yeah, your take name my on stuff it. and go do it. So right. my, you know, I want to hope that that all of that translated into good things. But like everything, you know, that's a risky thing to do, right? And uh, so I I think that. Um, uh, although I think that we're we are challenged in the spiritual formation movement, um, you know, uh, Dallas and your dad were keys uh, to that, and um, I'm not sure that that I don't I don't want to speak for your dad at all. He'll probably hear this <laughs> this podcast, but but I'm not sure he wanted that mantle that the weight of that mantle to no. to to carry that so so i think we're in a very unique time right now yeah. in the the spiritual formation movement to say you know maybe it's a maybe it's a reset time maybe it's time to look at it and say what what uh can we do differently what does the culture need differently now we're in a different world right right I was thinking of that line when Jesus said, it's better for me to go. And I thought, if I read that verse and I, no, no, you're, no, <laughs> no, it's not better to, you know, I, I could hear the disciples do that, no, not to make a connection uh, yeah. at, at all, you know, between the two, but just it, it's for a few years, it's got me thinking that there are often good things that birth out of people's passing. And so that's, that's kind of what, um, as you, you know, much of his work and ideas have, you know, many people have picked up and, and are working with, um, are you encouraged by that? Do you see holes or things that are lacking? Great question. 
I still see every semester in my classes. And I, I, and I teach classes that are very diverse. I mean, I have, I have Asian, I have Hispanic, I have black, I have white, I have all different types of ages, men and women. I love, I love the, that diversity. I feel like I have the world in my class. And every time I walk into class each semester, I think, boy, the, all these people, they've probably heard all this stuff about spiritual formation and discipleship. And they, and they do have a, they, they have a, they have some sort of a, you know, a paradigm that what they think that is. But as I start teaching this material, it's like light bulbs are going off in ways that they never thought. And it's not, it's, it's not me. It's just, it's the stuff that Dallas wrote about. I mean, it's about, it's about life in the kingdom of God. How do we live daily with Christ whereby we become to take, we come to take on his character, you know? So that's, um, that, that is something that I see still matters to people. I can't deny that. Now, are there some holes? Yeah. I mean, I'd say one of the bigger holes, especially now, is that that evangelicalism has faded considerably. I don't think many would argue with that reality, um, that, that, we're, that evangelical, white evangelicalism particularly, is in real trouble. Um, uh, many leaders have uh, fallen on the wayside and and I still think they, they live off of a message that is built around conversion and built around atonement. And, um, and so they don't, still don't understand fully the idea of spiritual formation and our role in becoming holy. It's as alive today, the issues, as, as they were when Dallas was alive. It's just the culture has shifted. What does that look like for you, living daily? with Christ? What has been most meaningful for me in the past few years, at least since Dallas's passing, is developing a life uh, around formational prayer. I call it formational prayer. Prayer that, prayer that is engaging with the truth of who God is, vision of who God is, through ancient prayers. I, I get up every morning. I kind of have to go on good uh, cardiovascular walks. I had a, I had a heart attack couple years after Dallas passed. So my cardiologist says, you got to do some cardio. But I do that every morning. And I got to tell you, silence and solitude is still a part of my life. But but creation is an incredibly important piece of how I hear God nowadays, as well as I recite ancient prayers, even the Apostles' Creed and prayers that are really meaningful to me. That, that grab my mind and heart and, and place me before God's throne every day. So I, I, I try to live in that reality. It's, I don't want to just say try. I want to train with that reality in mind. I, I can't imagine living any other way now. That kind of training becomes habit. And that's what Dallas envisioned, that spiritual disciplines are about changing habits. That's a big part of my life. COVID has knocked this extrovert out of the uh, connection with groups and people <laughs> other than Zoom. But um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, finding that again. Yes, yes. 
You're part of the board for Dallas Willard Ministries. Is that correct? You know, I was. At one time, I was uh, the president. I'm, I'm now um, working with the family around uh, a, a newly formed company called, da- you know, Dallas Willard Publications. So I'm chairing that board right now to try to help, uh, uh, you know, preserve, protect, and proclaim the legacy of Dallas. That's what I get to do now. And then I teach in a new school that we started called Dallas Willard School of Kingdom Living. I want to hear about that. But first, tell me on the publication, are there, how is that going? Are there, you know, books in the works that you're able to talk about? Well, you know what? I'm talking to you not even a month into that finalization. We wanted to see this happen shortly after Dallas passed. But now it's only been eight years, but we're here now. <laughs> good, good. So, so you'll be the first to know. <laughs> well, I remember hearing someone say there's, you know, in the garage, there's manuscripts collecting mold or, you know, boxes of what oh. could be books, right? Well, when he passed, uh, myself and a few others, uh, we all went to a monastery in Southern California and we had, I think it was 57 bankers boxes of Dallas's files from USC and his home office. And we went through all of those boxes. And I mean, it was like panning for gold. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, not, not for riches, but I mean, they were just rich in, in content. And uh, I think that over the next few years, you'll see some good things come out of the publishing company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of books, do you have a favorite Dallas book? And then second question, is there one that you recommend to people who are wanting to, you know, that have not read before, but are wanting to dip into uh, some of his writing? Great question. I I would agree with your dad that the divine conspiracy is like a magnum opus. <laughs> so here's why that one I think is different than the others. Most of the books that Dallas wrote he didn't plan to go right. I mean, he he wrote early on at request of other people about things that were going on in 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 that particular time frame. But the but the divine conspiracy was was a work that he had been working on since the 60s. Wow. When he was you know in Wisconsin teaching philosophy and and trying to figure all this out. He that's what I love about Dallas. I mean, he did, he was not a, hey, I'm going to do write a book that uh, I'm a flash in the pan. I learned something, <laughs> and now I'm just going to spit it out to somebody. No, he was percolating for 20, 30 years around that book. So when he wrote it, that's why we hear a different kind of Dallas. Um, so that would be my favorite. But I think all of them are are very rich. But I do probably a beginning book that I use in my classes because I've, I always have students that have never heard Dallas. So I've used the Great Omission mm-hmm. as a as an elementary book because they're articles. Right. That book is a whole set of articles, and for, I use four particular articles out of that book that become a great springboard for conversation and teaching. Once they taste of that then there's they're sucked in to do deeper renewing the christian mind is that title similar the great omission is one book of that i mean now renewing the christian mind gary black uh did and those are a compilation as well of other articles 
that that's a great book too. I'm just so used to using the great omission and there's some, you know, it works for me, but I think renewing the Christian mind is another fantastic book, getting the right article, depending on what you need to convey because it's shorter and they can get their arms around it. You, you know, I, I tried for so long Nate, to give people the, the divine conspiracy and people would get to page seven and they said, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, I just can't I'm done. Much, too much for me. Yeah. So yeah. that was where I, you know, I designed and co-wrote the, the study guide for that, the uh, Divine Conspiracy. So I said, Dallas, we got to do something about this book. 400 <laughs> pages is just too much for me. And we split it. We need a study guide. And he said, he said, Keith, I don't do study guides. So if you want to do it, go ahead. And I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. help stretch it out and help people get it piece by piece. James Catford has a statement about reading old books, but I would put Divine Conspiracy in that. You need a small spoon. <laughs> Take your time. And yeah. For me, it was about two years working with uh, Divine Conspiracy, and I almost wouldn't have done it any other way. Right. Just going slow was really, really helpful. I say it's like a fine steak. Chew, chew on you. Can't, don't go to Jack in the Box here. This is, this is don't wolf it down. Just chew, chew on it. Savor it. Go slow, and it may take two or three readings. <laughs> and that's okay. That's, that's okay. okay. Yeah. Tell me a little uh, about the the school of kingdom living. Oh yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, Dallas Willard's Ministries is a a ministry that that is really uh, owned by his daughter Becky Becky Wheatley. I have been a part of a number of institutes with a with a friend of mine, Jan Johnson. We were with Renovari Institute. We were with the Apprentice Institute. And uh, now uh, Dallas Willard Ministries said, hey, we want to take on something that's a little bigger. So they did, as an organization, took on the idea of starting an institute, a school, an 18-month school called Dallas Willard School of Kingdom Living. And we are in the midst right now. We have a first cohort beginning in another couple months of about 30 people, and that uh, they, can, they can go to dwillard.org and get information about the school, but Jan Johnson and I teach in it and, and other folks. It's, uh, it's really trying to honor Dallas's uh, vision, Dallas's practices. Um, for those that want to read deeper in Dallas and have a community to do it in, it's, it's just an opportunity that we're very excited about. We're ready to begin a new adventure. I'm really excited about it for two reasons. Um, one is you and Jan have this rich history, having worked in those programs, you know, through the years of kind of how to make things work and what what works and you know what doesn't. But then two, you know, both of you, right, being engaged in his life apart from you know, just reading and hearing talks and such, but on a personal level, right? And with the family, I'm assuming that brings a color to the to the room that that's special, uh, unique. I, I think so. I hope so. I'm really hoping that is what the key element is. They get his. Hopefully, they get some rub off of the aroma of Dallas along, <laughs> along with us. Yes. Yes. That's what we're after. I'm really excited to see if you guys launch that and where it goes. I really enjoy talking with you. Uh, two two pieces. 
I, I know you're uh, working on a book, and then with the publication with uh, Dallas Willard's work, please come back. Yeah. <laughs> it, with both of those, I'd love to. I'd love to chat when 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 those come out. I would love to. And that was Keith Matthews. You can learn more about Dallas Willard Ministries and their School of Kingdom Living at dwillard.org. You might also find it helpful to check out a couple of interviews I did with Dallas and Jane's daughter, Becky Willard Heatley. Episode 129 is about Dallas's book, Life Without Lack. And episode 139 is a special conversation we had about growing up with her dad. You can find these links and more information about today's episode on the show notes located on the Renovare website. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare podcast, made possible by donations from people like you. You can support this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort, offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We love hearing your questions or thoughts. Email at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morcon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well.